All right, please take your Bibles this morning and join me in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. Our theme verse for this series, Good News of Great Joy, it comes from Luke 2 and verse number 10, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So we began this last week and we're really focusing this Christmas season on the messengers of the Christmas story and how the gospel is declared in each unique encounter. And so last week, we looked at the Annunciation to Mary. And as we looked at it, we, we saw that message that nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. And we saw how in the virgin birth, in the virgin birth of Christ, the gospel is declared. Well, today we see it in the announcement to Joseph. And what we're going to see this morning, it's actually the same scripture that we opened the service with in Matthew 1, focusing on that name of Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us. So I want you to see that. Pick up the story with me in John 1, I'm sorry, in Matthew 1, and in verse number 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or this is how it began to play out. This is what happened. This is how it happened. When his mother Mary was, key word now, his mother Mary was, what does it say? A spouse to Joseph. So we, we, have, we have a new character in our Christmas story. We saw Mary and Elizabeth and Gabriel, and now today we get a profile on Joseph. Joseph. Mary was a spouse to Joseph. However, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Dear God, I ask that you'd help us today. Lord, I thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the, the, the wonder and the beauty of your word. Lord, today we come and we expect you to speak to us because we're reading your scriptures. Your Holy Spirit is present here among us. So, Lord, I ask that you would empower the preaching. I ask that you would guide the listening. Just help us, Lord. I pray that Christ, you, you Lord Jesus, would be magnified through this sermon this morning. I pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, the story opens with Joseph's dilemma. Joseph's dilemma. Now, we spoke a little bit about it last week, but you have to understand this espousal situation. Now, in modern terms, we would say something like, uh, Joseph, Mary was Joseph's fiance. Right? That would be the, the term that we're accustomed to. However, it was more than that. It was an espousal or a betrothal. But again, even the word betrothal in our modern concept doesn't give us the full sense of the word. As you would probably understand betrothal, you would think it's still practiced in some Eastern cultures um, and some subcultures in the United States even that it's practiced where you will have a, a father and mother of a son meet with a father and mother of, of, a, of a daughter and they would enter into a contract that at, when, the, when the children came of age that they would be pledged to one another. And so we would think of that as a betrothal. However, 
This betrothal is a step beyond even that. You see, this was a one-year, under the, the Hebrew customs of the day, this is a one-year proving time. So by law, Mary and Joseph, at some time before this scripture is read, months before, months before, probably given the time, you know, you need nine months, if I thought through that, it's only been a couple of months probably since their, their official espousal, their official betrothal. And what that meant was this, they had legally entered into marriage. They were legally married. And in fact, if there was any termination, they would have to go through divorce proceedings in order to be separated. However, they were not physically intimate during this one-year time. And the purpose of this was to test the purity of the spouse's pledge to one another. And so if something had time, well, this would have to lead to uh, a divorce. And in fact, that is exactly what we're going to read in the following verse. We go th from a happy betrothal to a pending divorce. What Joseph had imagined, and this is the dilemma that he's in, what Joseph had imagined was during this year, during this year of spousal period, as the custom was, he would be preparing a place for his bride. He would go back to his father's house, uh, to, to quote from John chapter 14, he would go back to his father's house and prepare the mansion, as is translated in John 14. Really, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's, it's an addition to his father's home or to his father's estate. And he would go back during this year, as he's pledged to marry, he, he is working hard. And you may know, by trade, Joseph is a, he's a carpenter by trade. So he's crafting the details of the home that they're going to live in, somewhere either attached to his father's existing house or on the property. He's building a place. He's building a place. And he's counting down the days to the wedding ceremony. Now, the wedding ceremony was not like weddings today. It was an elaborate affair. I mean, it was ceremonial. The entire village would have assembled to gather for multiple days, probably around, I think it was around three days, the average wedding in this day. There'd be a celebration, and there would be a processional, a grand and beautiful procession where Joseph would go to the home of Mary and her parents, and Mary would be arrayed in her, in her beautiful wedding garments, and she would leave her father's home, and Joseph, leading the whole processional with all of the friends and relatives and village people there, Joseph would take Mary to the home that he had prepared for them during this one-year espousal period. So this is what they're planning. This is what they're looking forward to. Now, Mary has met with the angel Gabriel, but Joseph, it, it would appear as if either Mary, I don't know if it had to do with the customs of the day or, or not, but apparently Mary was not able to adequately convey to Joseph what was going on with this belly here. Because it said in verse number, back in verse number 18, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, 
before they came together, she was found with child. Now, what was not known to everyone else is she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. This child was from the, was, was the Holy Ghost put this baby there. We spoke about that last week. But Joseph finds out, and he is facing a dilemma. What should I do? In verse number 19, it's an important verse, and it speaks to the tender compassion and the character of Joseph and just what a wonderful and godly man he was. That the Lord had not only, the Lord had not only chosen Mary, but I believe that the Lord had chosen, well, we know that the Lord had chosen Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus. And what a privilege. What, a, what an awesome responsibility. It's hard enough to be a dad, right? All the fathers out there would agree. Never mind to be the, the stepfather of the Savior of the world. But that's what Joseph is, uh, is called to, and we see that his character. So, but, but now, we're not there yet. He's in a dilemma. Because it says in verse number 19, Then Joseph, her husband, remember, they've not consummated the marriage, but they are husband and wife. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, that means he's righteous, he's honorable, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to divorce her. That's the, the, the old phrase, put her away. He was minded, he planned, he was, he was beginning plans to have a quiet and private divorce. Why? Because he didn't want Mary to be made a spectacle of. Now, under the Jewish law, not only could Mary have been made a spectacle of, but Mary actually would have been guilt, guilty of adultery. She would have been guilty of, adu guilty of adultery. Now, we, we know that, well, that, that's not right because, yes, but I'm just saying from public perception. And in Joseph's mind, the very first thing that goes to Joseph's mind, what, do we, what is Joseph thinking in this verse? He's thinking, how could Mary have done this? But even in his, the, the horror and disappointment and dismay, he's going to, in his mind, he's going to treat her well. So he goes from a betrothal to a pending divorce, and he's just not sure what to do. I'm sure he's questioning God. What is going on? Why have you allowed this? this? And in fact, you have to just think in this day and age how rare this situation would have been. Extremely rare. And Joseph never would have imagined this is where he would face himself. Have you, can I ask you this? This isn't the main thrust of the message, but this always stood out. This just stood out to me. Can I ask you this? Have you faced a dilemma situation in your life? Maybe recently, maybe not so recently. Notice what Joseph's doing. And, and, and I think there's an interesting thing because Joseph has his plan, but in verse number 20, in verse number 20, look at this. But while he thought on these things, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. It's interesting. In the middle of his crisis, in the middle of his dilemma, that is when he hears the voice of God most clearly. Most clearly. And I just had a, just a little lesson that, I, that stood out to me in this. When you and I face 
situations, crisis moments, or dilemmas in our lives, we need to be careful to not settle for a human solution. Not settle for a human solution to a divine dilemma that God has brought into our lives. Was there anything it, it, from, a, from a right-minded, thoughtful, logical, even godly mindset, was there anything wrong with Joseph's plan that he's thinking up in his mind? Well, given the circumstances, no. It looks like a good plan, Joseph. This looks like an honorable decision. However, he, he didn't yet realize that God had brought this problem into his life that God had brought the situation in, and that God was going to be the one that had a far better solution, that God was far more at work than what Joseph could have imagined. And so when we face these situations in life, it's important to say, wait a minute, what is God at work? What is God doing in this situation? And right then we go from this dilemma to the news that comes from the angel. And look at the message of good news from the angel. Verse number 20, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, it's all caps, so why don't you say it with me, his name, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You see the good news that comes from the angel. Notice, first of all, the very first thing, the very first thing that the angel says, and angels are always saying this. Read it, you trace it through the Bible. The angel says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Every time you see angels appearing, they say, hey, don't be afraid. Now, it's not too hard to imagine why. I've never seen an angel, but I imagine if I did, my first inclination would to be, would be, to be very, very afraid. What is going on? But the angel say, says, fear not. But I think there's something a little bit more. There's something a little bit more about that opening salutation, that opening greeting, fear not, than just the obvious, yes, I'm an angel, but don't be afraid of me. I think there's a little bit more to it than that. And, and, and that is that when God uses the angels to deliver his message to mankind, and as they come, I think it's the intention of God to say to his people, hey, don't be afraid afraid. Because God in his glory is something fearful, someone fearful. God is, we are sinners and God is holy. But the good news of the gospel is despite the fact that we are sinful, despite the fact that God is holy, God breaking into this world, God delivering his message to the world, it's a message that says, hey, don't be afraid. There's so much to be afraid of in this world, isn't there? There's so much to fear, and so often people live fear-based lives. But the scriptures say that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
And the message of the gospel here in the Christmas story reminds us, fear not. But why else? You notice also in these verses, fear not. Why? Because God is at work. Joseph, you're, you, you may be afraid of the angel. You may be afraid of, what will I do in life now? How will I find another spouse? What's going to happen? What about the plans I've made? What about all of this? And the angel says that that, which, that little baby, that little baby that is inside of Mary, she came from the Holy Ghost. That God is at work in this situation. God is the one that has put all of this together. And now, Joseph, and now, Joseph, not only do not be afraid, not only realize that God is working in and through Mary, but finally, in this, in this point, he's teaching Joseph that now, and what a realization for Joseph now, all of a sudden, when he wakes up, you talk about his life having a greater purpose. When he wakes up from that dream, can, can you imagine? What was, what was he, every day he's waking up and it's like, well, I guess I better get back to work on the, I better get, get back to work on the place for me and Mary. And he's crafting everything carefully and he's putting it all together. But now as he puts that cradle together, this isn't a cradle for just any ordinary little baby. This is the cradle for the Savior. This is the bedroom. This is the space the Son of God is going to live. And Joseph's life now has taken on such greater meaning. Now, and I'm not saying he was wandering aimlessly through life. Obviously, he was a person of, of faith and purpose and direction. But boy, what a message that comes to him. And what greater meaning is now manifest in his life. What a purpose. While he th thought on these things, the angel appears, Joseph, fear not. And he says, for that which is conceived is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21, she shall bring forth a son. You're going to name him Jesus. Do you remember from last week the name Jesus, what it means? It's Joshua or Yeshua. It means Jehovah is my salvation. An interesting statement here that points us also to the deity of Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, not from Rome, not from their enemies, but he shall save his people from what? From their sins. From their sins. That it's interesting that the name of Jesus points to who is the Savior. Well, God the Father, Jehovah, Yahweh. But then he is going to be the one accomplishes the salvation. I think this is a, an evidence of the deity of Christ right here in the announcement of Jesus' birth. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now verse 22, we move to the third point already. We'll take a little bit longer on this one, but verse 22. Now, all this was done for a reason, for a purpose. Everything was put together caref carefully. Why? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name, would you say it with me, his name, Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, 
is God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. I think the most, for me, one of the most beautiful names of the Christmas season is that name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. As we think of Messiah coming, many people in this time, in this day, they were looking for a savior. They were looking for someone to deliver them from the oppression of Rome. They were looking for someone who would come and give them a new quality of life and set up a new kingdom. But what had been prophesied was far greater than a military or political leader. Who had been prophesied was far more than a king to sit on a throne because he was the king of kings. And he was not just a man, but he was God with us. What does that mean, with us? With us. Well, I think in its, obviously in its physical sense, the fact that God became man, the incarnation, that God now lives with us. But there is a greater spiritual significance. And in fact, the story of Emmanuel, or the story of God with us, is really the whole story of Scripture. It's the whole story of God's relationship with, we, with us, his people, his creation. God with us, the story of Emmanuel. Now, the, the reference that is quoted here in Matthew chapter 1 is from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. In the midst of some very difficult times, in the midst of very difficult times for the nation of Israel, the prophet Isaiah is given a promise. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. This is 500 years before the birth of Christ. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, if you're Joseph, you're sure glad that this prophecy was written 500 years ago. Because you wake up from that dream and you're like, really? Could this be that Mary, that baby that Mary's having, this is, is she really a, she really has still been faithless, is really from God, is this real? And, and wouldn't you know, he grew up in synagogue, he grew up knowing the prophet Isaiah, and he knew this scripture, and he was seeing it be fulfilled. He knew that it was prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and the name would be called Emmanuel. So the angel, the angel, the vision is validated by the prophetic word of God. Now, this is just a side note. You can kind of put this over here on your notes or something like that. I've never received a vision from God, but I've met a lot of people that tell me. They say, oh, I saw this, or God spoke to me this way, or I saw this vision. I shouldn't say a lot of people, but a fair number of people who have told me they've seen a vision from God. Let me just give you a little rule. The vision, whatever vision anyone has claimed to have ever seen, it better be validated by thus saith the Lord in the scriptures. Right? If you, if you say, I felt something, I saw a dream. What's interesting about this vision to, to Joseph is it was backed up by the prophecy that had been given 500 years earlier. 
God's, this is, for, for those of you that enjoy theology and studying theology, this is referred to as progressive revelation. That from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, God has one message that he is progressively unfolding. You see a, a, a little snippet of it in Genesis. You get a little bit more with Moses. You get a little bit clearer picture with the prophets. And then, boom, John the Baptist comes. And it's like, oh, now, now we see it a little more. Then Jesus is on the scene. And then the apostles give the teachings of Jesus. And then John the Revelator gives in the, in the book of uh, Revelation, he gives us the final revelation. And that is progressive revelation. So if any, uh, and there have been other groups that have come up and they've claimed to have a new message or a new prophecy. And uh, there's even one group uh, that the, the Latter-day Saints group, and they say they have another gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the problem is it doesn't line up with the original gospel of Jesus Christ. And even when Jesus came, this is interesting, even when Jesus came, he told them, they said, the, the, the Pharisees would say to Jesus, oh, well, this is something new. We, you're teaching something. Jesus said, no, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures because they speak of me. You see, in the, in the trail of biblical Christianity that has gone on for 2,000 years, every, everything that we have is backed up by what did the scripture say? What is the con continuation of? of that progressive revelation from Genesis to Revelation. Anyway, that was, that was just a little bit of a, of a side note. But it does relate to the story of Emmanuel. Because the story of God with us goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. If you went to the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of creation, You'd find that in six days, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them in six days. And on the sixth day, he created man. And from the rib of man, he created woman. Mankind, humankind was created on the sixth day. And God created men, God created women to know us personally, to have a personal relationship with us. In fact, you'd find this in the, in, we learn this from the book of Genesis, that when it was simply Adam and Eve in the garden, God would come into the garden in the cool part of the day, and they would walk together. This, this is what humanity is created for, to know God, to be with God, not in a generic, general sense, but to be with God personally. Notice with me on handout Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8. This is when the personal relationship with God was lost. It was lost. Genesis 3 and verse number 8. And they heard, this is Adam and Eve, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But instead of joining him in this walk, instead of the companionship with God, and Adam 
and his wife, what does it say? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. You see, what had happened is with the sin, as, as sin comes into the world, with the disobedience of Adam and Eve, the story of Emmanuel begins with God with us broken. God with us broken. That no longer, if you will, no longer is God hand in hand with, with his people. But now Adam and Eve have to hide themselves. And in fact, the, this section of the story ends with Adam and Eve being cast from the presence of the Lord, being removed from the presence of God into, I'm sorry, outside of the Garden of Eden. But the desire of God has always been to be, to be with his people. And in fact, there's a, there is a glimmer of it. I didn't put this verse on there, but there's a, if you were to read in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 16, you would find that God gives a hint that, he, that this is going to be restored, that his plan is to restore this relationship. Well, what happens next in the story of Emmanuel? You read the Old Testament and you find that chapter after chapter, verse after verse, book after book, God is working. God is unfolding his plan for bringing us back into fellowship with him. How does he accomplish it? Well, after it's lost, you find the next thing that happens in the story of Emmanuel is you go from the personal relationship being lost to the presence of God among Israel. Look at, this is just in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. You're like, there's 66 books. Are we really going to do this? No, we'll skip a few. So Exodus chapter number 29 and verse number 44. And I will, this is God speaking. He's just given them instruction to build a, a portable temple. It's called the tabernacle. He's just given them instructions about the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. And he says this. He says, I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation. This is the congregation, the gathering of the people of Israel and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. Look at verse 45. Ready? And I will what? Dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. God saying, I will come and be with my people. But how did he do it? How, did, how was Emmanuel, in a sense, being accomplished? Well, he would come into the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory, as the, it is known, of the glory of God would come into the holy place. And they would see it. In the early days, there would be the, the flame of fire, if you remember studying that. But even in the, in the temple and in the tabernacle worship, there would be a cloud that would descend over the holy place. And the people of God would be able to point. The congregation, the, ta the tabernacle was situ situated in a place where all of the nation of Israel could, could see it. And they could look at the, at the tabernacle and they could see the, the cloud of the glory of God. And they could say, Emmanuel, God is what? He's with us. But still, if they wanted to get to him, who did they need? That Well, they needed a priest. Ultimately, some of you said Jesus, and you're right. They needed a priest. 
and the priest would get them access and would bring them close, but there's still separation. Why? Because this was the first covenant. This was the old covenant. This was not the full plan for Emmanuel, but it shows us that through the people of Israel, God is bringing about his plan of redemption, his plan of reconciliation, bringing, bringing mankind back to him, God with us. We go from the, the personal relationship was lost, it's pre, it's, God's presence was then found among Israel, and then we come to the, to the beauty and the magnificence of the physical coming of Christ, and that's what we're focused on right now. That, that when that little baby was born, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, literally, physically, physically, Emmanuel. And un, it, so, so we go from the tabernacle and the cloud, God is with us, to Mary and Joseph bringing the baby to Jerusalem. And Simeon lifts up that little baby from my... I can die now because I've seen the glory of the Lord. And he holds up that little baby. And you could hold up that little baby and you could say what? Emmanuel. God is with us. In fact, the New Testament writers speak of this. And many people, there are also different religious groups that, that try to attack the deity of Christ, that, that he is not God but the Bible is very clear. In fact, John 1 and 14, that physically this is God with us. John 1, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Or Paul would write to Timothy in chapter 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. In other words, what Paul is saying is that when you see mystery in the scriptures, it's not something that cannot be known. A mystery of something that a mystery refers to something that was previously unknown that has now been revealed. And this is you want to understand God and who and who He is. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's the gospel account of the life and ministry of Christ, that physically on this earth, God walked among us. But Still, still, do you, this is really important. That is not the ultimate fulfillment of the story of Emmanuel. You say, well, how could it be any better than that? Well, because think through it. In the Old Testament, you had to travel to a place to say, Emmanuel, God is with us. In the Gospels, in the life of Christ, you had to go what? You had to go find Jesus. You had to go wherever he was. You had to go, you had to go hear him teach. Or you had to, you had to make a journey to, to, oh, he's in Galilee. Oh, he's in Nazareth. Oh, he's back in Jerusalem. You had to go and physically be with him somewhere to say, Emmanuel, God is with me. But Jesus had a greater plan than even that. Because 
today, right now, in this day and age, is when we experience the ultimate Emmanuel. Look what you, and that is through, you'll see on your handout, the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. That today, you can say, Emmanuel, God is with me. With me. And he walks with me, as the old hymn says, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, we'll read it in just a minute, but he's with his disciples right before his death. Emmanuel, God with them, right there. He's with his disciples, and he tells them, I'm going to leave. And actually, he said, he's going to go do what Joseph was doing. He's going to go prepare a place. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. And some of the disciples get a little concerned, and they're like, we don't want you to go. If you go, what, what's going to happen? What happened? Jesus, you can't leave. It's been with three years, our lives have changed. You can't leave. And Jesus is about to teach them he's got something better for them. He tells them in this account that they're going to see greater works. They're going to do greater things. Well, look at how he describes it. John 14, 16 and 17. Jesus says, and I will pray the Father. He says, I'm going to put up a special request to my Father. And he shall give you another comforter. Now, this is a really cool word, comforter. It literally means, I've seen it tra translated, comforter, probably the two most common ways it's translated are comforter and advocate. It's the Greek word paraclete. And what it literally means is the one who comes beside. The one who comes beside. And what Jesus says here is there is going to be one. Now listen to this. There's a tabernacle, it's over there. Oh, Jesus, he's over there. Now I'm with Jesus. No, I'm going to send you someone who is always Emmanuel, who is ever and always God with you, the one who comes beside, the comforter. The comforter. And who is this comforter? Who is this one that will abide with you? What's it say? That he may abide with you how? Forever. In case you haven't picked up on it, Jesus wants it to be ever crystal clear. It's not a thing. It's a person. His name is, verse 17, even the Spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Another wonderful Trinitarian verse, the Father, Jesus, is leaving. He says to his heavenly Father, send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But look what Jesus says. But ye know him, for he, and he is God, dwells where? Emmanuel. 
God with you. You know him. The personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit is something Jesus says that the world, those who don't know Christ, the the non-Christian cannot understand it. Cannot understand the comfort that he brings in times of sorrow. The peace that he brings in times of distress. The joy that he supplies. The confidence, the power that he gives to serve. The conviction that he brings when we are selfish and sinful. The permanent presence of God with us in the Holy Spirit. The world cannot experience that kind of Emmanuel. And sometimes Christians, we fail to experience him. But he is here. Oh, spread the tidings round wherever man is found. The comforter has come, the songwriter said. John 14 and 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, this is in the same conversation, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we, we, will come unto him and make our abode with him. How? In the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of Emmanuel. You have living inside of you, if you are a child of God, you have living inside of you the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Spirit walks beside us. So what does that mean? Well, For the Christian, for the Christian, Emmanuel means this. Emmanuel means that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That you are kept by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last day. If you have the Spirit of God, there's nothing that can come against you that can rob you of your salvation. If you have the Spirit of God, you know what else it means? It means there is no temptation that you cannot defeat. There is no discouragement that you cannot overcome. You are unstoppable. It sounds trite, but you are unstoppable because of Emmanuel, because the Holy Spirit is with you. So whatever you're facing, and I know that that for some, this time of year, this time of year can be an exciting fun time, especially for a lot of us that we've got young children at home and it's just a wonderful time of year. But I also know that this is a time of year where a lot of people feel loneliness. And a a lot of people, they're not surrounded by family. There's a lot of discouragement. There's depression that people face. Friends, if you are a child of God, Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is there. You may be the only believer in your family. You may feel alone. Emmanuel, the good news of the gospel is Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. But not just that, but again, you might be facing a temptation right now. You may have fallen into sin. 
You may, have, you may feel like you've failed God, you've failed Jesus, you've failed the church, you've failed your family, you've failed, you've failed, you've failed, you've failed. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is here to, yes, remind you of what you've done wrong, but to give you the power to be victorious over that sin. And sometimes Christians walk in victory, and sometimes Christians walk in defeat, but you don't have to stay defeated. The Holy Spirit is here to come alongside. Emmanuel is here. But the most important thing is that God is with you. And that only comes through entering into a personal relationship with Him. I finish, I conclude with 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in where? Who? His Son. In verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you have Emmanuel? Do you have God with you? You see, it doesn't come through, there's not a church that can give life. It's not he who has religion has eternal life. It doesn't say he who has church membership or he who has baptism or he who has good behavior. It doesn't say any of those things. Do you have Emmanuel? Is God with you? Because he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Has there been a moment in your life where you have personally asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Whether you're here this morning, whether you're watching this morning, have you repented of your sin and said, Jesus, I do believe that you died for me, that you rose from the dead, and I put my faith and my trust with you in you. I want Emmanuel. I want God with me and in me. That's the new birth. That's salvation. And once you receive Christ and you have Emmanuel, then Emmanuel begins to change things forever. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed as we prepare to conclude the service. If you've never received Christ Jesus as your Savior, if there's never been a time that, that you have come to Christ and repented of your way and turned to Him, I want to invite you to do that this morning. Wherever you are, would you simply call out to Christ, admit your sin, believe on Him, ask Him to save you. You can pray a prayer something like this. Say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your law. But I believe that you died and rose again for me. And I ask you to save me. I ask you, Emmanuel, to come into my life. Please save me from my sins, Jesus. If you've never prayed that sinner's prayer to God, if you've never called on the name of Jesus, don't wait any longer. Right now, ask him to be your savior. And then the application for those of us who are believers we have Emmanuel. We have him. As the old revivalists used to teach, do you practice the presence of God in your life? Have you been just living in a way that recognizes, God, you are with me in what I say and where I go, 
and what I do, God, you are here with me. Do you need to ask him to just to reorient your focus? Do you need to repent maybe of ignoring the Holy Spirit and just recommit this week ahead to him? Let's just take a few minutes as we reflect and respond to the message as the instruments play. Let's just speak with the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus, God. We thank you for leaving us with your comfort and with your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you dwell with us, you walk with us. Lord, we know that we can experience your presence each and every day of our life. And I pray if someone here doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you, that they would leave here knowing for sure that they'll spend eternity in heaven and having that comforter. In Jesus' name. taking the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook you can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.